This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. This is, uh, you're going to be really encouraged by this, I know that you are. Uh, next Sunday, we will finally complete Romans chapter 2. I, hold your applause, we're not there yet, okay? I just want to encourage you, something to look forward to. That means we started the book of Romans in January of this year. That means we are, we will finish this book if we continue on our pace in the next eight years. Is that encouraging? Nobody was encouraged by that. I, I thought it would. Thank you. There was one person over there that, made, that felt bad for their pastor. And so, um, no, seriously, it's going to pick up when we get to chapter three. Uh, chapter two has been a little bit quicker than chapter one. But here's the important thing about this. And I hope, I hope it's never a drag for you to study the Bible. I hope it's a joy. We want to lay a really good, solid foundation before we get into the, the meat and potatoes of uh, the book of Romans. It's so deep. We want to make sure that we know what we're getting into. And so there's been a lot of preliminary work that we're doing. Today kind of falls into that category as well. Uh, as you take a look at covenants, circumcision, and does it even matter anymore? Why is this stuff uh, even important to us as we study the Bible? We'll be taking a look at that uh, here today. Romans chapter 2, we're going to start in verse number 17 just to give us context uh, here for what we're reading. Paul's talking to the Jews. Uh, the Jews consider them better, better than everybody else for the most part here in the church at Rome. And Paul's kind of writing to kind of put them in their place. Hey, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, you're not who you think that you are. You're not as good as you think you are. Uh, and he helps them kind of uh, get a realistic view of what they, where they stand and their need for Jesus Christ as well. Romans chapter 2, we'll start in verse number 17. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resteth in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. And are confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and truth in the law. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast to the law, through the breaking of the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles through you, as it is written. So we took a look at this last week, how hypocrisy really drives people away from God. It's damaging to the faith of other people. It makes God look bad. And, and Paul lets the Jews know here, hey, you think that you're something, but you're not those things. Uh, you're tr trying to hold people to another standard that you yourself have not yet kept. And then we get into, it's kind of wordy, so I want you to stick with me here, verses 25 through 29, where we're really going to spend the next two Sundays at, okay? It, it's kind of wordy, but just stay with me. We're really going to unpack the bulk of this next week, okay? Uh, but we're, today we're kind of, again, laying a foundation for what we're going to look at next week uh, with this idea of circumcision uh, and the Jews. Verse 25 for circumcision verily profiteth, if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if circumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter of circumcision does transgress the law? For he's not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is he the circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So it makes, Paul makes a really big deal of circumcision here, and we need to understand why that's even a big deal. Now, we could gloss over this, and I could give you the five-minute understanding of this, but I want to do you better than that. My goal for you is not that you would hear uh, a good message on Sunday and, and think that you've done well and go home. My goal for every single one of you is that you would know and understand God's word and that you would live your life by it. That's what I want for you. And so I don't want to give you just kind of a quick cursory overview of circumcision and why it's important. I want you to get what Paul's saying here. And it's going to take, again, more than one Sunday to unpack it. 
But as we look at this, it's really important to understand how we wound up here. Uh, I, am, I w- wasn't a great student in high school uh, by the fact that I didn't like to study. I was an A and B student. I didn't make C's uh, ever. But my teachers would always, the dreaded parent-teacher conference, I hated those. Because my parents would always come home. Your teacher said you could be a straight-A student if you would just study and apply yourself. And oh, man, I hated those words. My teachers outed me every single time. I didn't like to study. I didn't like to apply myself. I just kind of coasted through school. I never read a book until I was in my 20s. Uh, I always got, for those of you that have never heard of this, Cliff's Notes. I don't know who Cliff was, but he saved my life on more than one occasion, right? For those of you that don't know, it's these yellow and black books that if, if you were in a small town like I was and you went to Walmart and there was like 10 copies, every student had already gone to Walmart and gotten A Tale of Two Cities, right? Uh, because nobody wanted to read it. It's basically like a, a summary, like short paperback, uh, paperback, uh, probably 20 or less pages. You can read it in one sitting kind of thing. Kind of gives you the overview of what happened in the story. That's what I did because I didn't like to study. Um, and, and so when it came the opportunity, I turned 18, my choice was to go to more school, which I would hate, or join the military. And so it was no brainer to join the military out of high school because I didn't want to go to college. I don't like to, to learn things that I'm not interested in, like uh, understanding ancient Roman government and how that affects the socioeconomic status of European nations today. I could not care less about that. I don't want to study for it. I definitely don't want to pay, you know, $500 a credit hour to sit and take that class for sure. So that wasn't for me. But when it comes to things like the Bible, you really need to understand history. And this is not just an academic study. This helps you to understand how we wound up where we are today And it also helps you to understand the character of God. Nothing grinds my gears worse than to hear Christians say, well, the Old Testament is really just history. You don't need that so much. No, we'll just focus on the New Testament. Man, you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't understand the Old Testament first. Now, for us as a church, We've never preached through any Old Testament book of the Bible yet. Uh, we might do that this coming year. We might do it in, in uh, the future. But uh, for us, as we started Who We Call, I really wanted to make sure that we stayed on track. And so we've worked, walked through a lot of the epistles and things like that to help us to have a biblical view of what the church should look like. But we can't just discard the Old Testament. I've, I've heard pastors say things like before, like, well, we don't really need the Old Testament. That was really for the Jews. No, no, no. Here's what the Bible says, 2 Timothy 3, 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. The whole Bible's good, every bit of it. Uh, so even the genealogies in First Chronicles that you're just like, oh, I think I'll skip those two chapters. Read it. It's good for you. You need to know it. So I say that to say this. I want you to understand how we wound up where we are today, and it's going to require a little bit of a history lesson. But here's the thing, uh, and again, I, I hate to sound like a teacher, but I'm going to tell you this. We can always learn from history. And so at the end of today's message, stay with me because I've got an application for you and I that are not Jews and how this is really important to us. To figure out how we wound up where we were at today, we need to rewind to what we call the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant was the beginning of God's establishing his people through Abraham. Now, as we go through the major covenants of the Bible, I'm going to give you a 30,000-foot overview of the covenants of the Bible. First of all, there was the Adamic covenant, which some people say is not really a covenant, where God told uh, uh, Adam and Eve to go and multiply the earth. Uh, And so God says, go do this, and they did it. Next, we see uh, God's covenant with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. God gave some promises to him, which we'll unpack in just a minute. We have the Mosaic covenant, where God gave the law to the children of Israel, told them how they should behave and what he expected of them. God made a covenant with David, which we call the Davidic covenant. He made a promise to David that on your throne will rule a ruler whose rule will know no end, a prophecy that Jesus Christ would come from David's lineage. Then we have the new covenant, which is really important, which we'll get to at the the midpoint of today's message as well. So as we take a look at the Abrahamic covenant, this is God beginning with the establishing of his people. Now, we can't talk about covenants without explaining, first of all, what a covenant is. Covenant refers to an act of God in freely establishing a mutually binding relationship with humankind. God chooses to enter into an agreement with mankind. Through the covenant, God bestows his blessings on humans in conditional and unconditional terms. Conditionally, God blesses humans as they obey the terms of the covenant. Unconditionally, God bestows blessings on humans regardless of their obedience or disobedience to the terms of the contract or the terms of the covenant. Now, when we talk about agreements between two parties, the majority of people, when they enter into an agreement with another party, enter into a contract relationship. A contract relationship requires both parties to uphold their end of the agreement. 
any part that one party fails in their part of the agreement, the other person is no longer bound to that agreement and is also freed from the constriction of the contract. For example, we're in a contract relationship with our landlord to lease this space. We pay X amount of dollars. He allows us to use this space for whatever purpose we deem necessary. Now, there's rules and guidelines of that said contract. But the, it's a contract. We pay X dollars. He allows us to use the space. If we stop paying X dollars, he stops letting us use the space because we didn't keep our end of the agreement. Pretty simple. By the same token, if he says, hey, you guys got to move out, that means we no longer have to pay rent because he didn't keep his end of the agreement as well. So a covenant is different from a contract in the fact that when one party fails on their end of the agreement, the other party chooses to honor their word. Now, this is really unique. So think about it this way. If we're in a covenant relationship with our landlord, it would be so sweet. We don't pay rent, and he says, it's okay, you can stay there, but I really wish you would keep your word. And we say, we're not going to. And he says, okay, that's fine, I'll keep my word. And we stay here rent-free. Now, that doesn't, not very good for him, uh, but it's really great for us, but then we become a people that don't have any integrity and don't keep our word, right? It becomes problematic. And so you can imagine entering into a covenant relationship with somebody else is very dangerous because there's no requirement, there's no, uh, I guess you can say, screws that we can put to them uh, to cause them to keep their word. If they don't keep it, we're just stuck keeping our word. But here's what God did. God entered into a covenant agreement with you and I. He started a covenant with, with uh, Abraham, and he said to Abraham, hey, I'm going to be your God, and I'm going to bless you, and you're going to follow me, and all your children after you will follow me, and I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. Now, when Israel strayed and went away, God says, you didn't obey me. You've gone after other gods. You disappointed me. You, you've sinned against me, but... I'm still your God and you're still my people. Get your act together and come back to the agreement that we made. And so a covenant relationship is very dangerous because you're at the mercy of the one that's on the opposite end of the agreement. Uh, but it's very easy for us to go into a covenant with God because God always keeps his promises. Now this is really important for another reason because there's really only one other major covenant relationship that human beings enter into with one another and that is marriage. Marriage covenant, right? Marriage says, I'm going to keep my vow to my spouse, even if they don't keep theirs, I'm going to stay strong on my covenant that I made. They've broken their covenant, I'm going to keep mine. And so that's very difficult. That's why, uh, for me, I'm not a wedding officiant. Somebody calls me up and says, hey, I'm planning on getting married. I'm not interested, I don't do stuff like that. You call me and say, hey, i got a coworker. they're looking to get hitched, would you be able to perform the ceremony? I don't do that, I'm not a wedding officiant. I'm a pastor. I help people enter into marriage covenant relationships and vows before God. I help people do that. That's part of my role as shepherding people. I'm not a wedding officiant. So if two people decide they want to get married, we're going to have a very long, usually months-long conversation about what marriage looks like before we ever even make it to that day of standing in an altar together because it's, it's that important. It's that big of a deal because you're putting yourself at the mercy of this other sinner for the rest of your life, and you're putting your life in their hands, and they may or may not keep their word. That's very serious stuff, and so we can't enter into that lightly. When we talk about covenants with God, we are always the beneficiary of God's covenants, always. God always keeps his word. We never have to wonder, hey, I wonder if God's going to come through on that, because he always does. God many times is left with us being unfaithful to our end of the bargain, but he's never been unfaithful to us at all. When we take a look at the covenant relationships, the end result of the covenants were always peace and the wholeness of a relationship. That we would be in a, a loving, caring, committed relationship with God, and he would meet our needs, and we would serve and bless him and honor him and glorify him. When we take a look at God and his covenants uh, in the Old Testament especially, God works primarily through his word or a prophet. Now, his word uh, sometimes was the word given by a prophet. Sometimes it was just God speaking. Uh, when God gave the Abrahamic covenant to Abraham, he actually talked to him like you and I would be having a conversation. He says, Abraham, hey, grab all your stuff, get up and go, because I'm going to send you to a land that you've never been to before. And Abraham says, okay, I'm going to do it. So God moves 
works through his word or a prophet, and he wages war. In the Old Testament, you see there's a lot of bloodshed. God needed to put down all those that were his enemies. God needed to make his covenant come to fruition, had to move some people out of the way. One of the, the commitments that God had made to Abraham was for land. God had to get those people out of the land, and he did it by waging war to make a covenant with his people, to constitute a people as his people, and then God established a temple presence among them because he will live among them. That's what happens with God's covenant. And so it's important to know now, we don't make war with other people. We don't go and fight holy wars, if you will. Uh, the Bible says that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual things. We wage war against our culture. We wage war against the world. We wage war against the devil uh, and his lies. That's what we wage war against. We don't fight against other people the way they did in the Old Testament. Now, it's also interesting to note here, too, that God wanted a presence with his people. Again, the whole purpose of any covenant that God created was a relationship with his people. And so one of God's relationships that he had with his people is he would come and his spirit would dwell with them. After the exodus out of, uh, out of Egypt, when the children of Israel wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, everywhere they would go, they would set up a tent that was called the tabernacle. God's spirit would come down and dwell with the people in this tent, and so they would set up the tent with the tabernacle in the midst of it. And God's spirit was always there with his people. God would lead them through the wilderness through a pillar of fire and a, a pillar of, of, of smoke. A, a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke? Smoke, Yeah. You know when you say something like that and you're like, is that right? I think, I think that's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm right. So God would lead them through the wilderness. His spirit would always be with them. Now, when they got into the promised land, they set up shop there in Jerusalem. David says, hey, God, I've got a really nice house, but you don't have a house. I want to build you a house. And God says, you can't. You shed too much blood. Solomon can, but I need you to lay the foundations for the temple. And so he did that. And so David laid the foundation for the temple, gathering all the materials. Solomon began the construction project. God had a house. His temple came and dwelt with his people in Jerusalem. That's where God's spirit was. God always desired for his spirit to be with his people. That was always part of these covenants that God established. So God made a covenant with Abraham to give him three things. The Abrahamic covenant gave Abraham land, a seed, and a blessing. These are really important. Genesis chapter 12 is in your notes there. Genesis 12, uh, verse number one. Now, the Lord had said unto Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land which I will show thee. I'm going to give you a land and it's going to be yours. And I'm going to make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So I'm going to give you land. I'm going to make a great nation of you. And in you shall all the families of the world be blessed. So here we see God making an agreement with Abraham. Here's what I'm going to do for you. Now, Abraham wouldn't actually see this covenant come to fruition. Joshua would lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And God told Joshua, hey, anywhere your foot walks, that land is yours. Walk as far as you want to, walk as wide as you want to. Wherever you go, it's yours. And so the children of Israel had that land. That's why it's really important. This is not a political statement. This is a biblical statement. When we talk about the, the, the area of, on the map that's called Israel, there's that, that contested section called the Gaza Strip where Israel and Palestine fight over. And sometimes people say, just hey, just divide it in half. Give the Gaza Strip to Palestine. Let them do that. That's theirs. They can have that. Here's the thing to note. That's not our land to give. That was God's land that was given to God's people. And so to give that up means to take back something that God had already promised Israel. And so it's not for us that we hate Palestinians or they can't have land or things like that, but God's land was God's land for God's people. And so we need to make sure that we're always friends with Israel, always. Secondly, we see this seed that would come from Abraham. Again, Abraham wouldn't see this come to fruition. Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac had two boys, Jacob and Esau. From Jacob, Jacob had a bunch of uh, children from there. From him would come the 12 tribes of Israel. His son Joseph was uh, sold into slavery by his brother. Joseph then goes to be second in command under Pharaoh in the largest empire in the world at the time. Worldwide famine, worldwide drought. Joseph's brothers come to Egypt looking for food. 
And Joseph says, hey, go ahead and grab dad and, and all of my brothers and sisters and come back. I'll take care of you. And that's kind of the end of the book of Genesis. Then it opens up in the book of Exodus where nobody remembers Joseph anymore. And the children of Israel are now slaves in Egypt. And it's estimated that anywhere between a million to a million and a half Jews were slaves there in Egypt at that time. So now we see Abraham's seed has multiplied into a great nation. Now they're in captivity in Egypt, but there's a lot of people now. It's not just Isaac anymore. And then the final promise of this would be that all the world through Abraham would be blessed. This was a prophecy that Jesus Christ was coming from the seed of Abraham. So through the 12 tribes, uh, Jesus would be born of the tribe of Judah. And Jesus Christ, who would be our Messiah, who would be our Savior, came from Abraham. And from Abraham, through Jesus Christ, all the nations of the world, all the families of the world will be blessed through Abraham, through Jesus Christ. So here we see God bringing to fruition the Abrahamic covenant, those three parts of it. Now, uh, keep your finger here in Romans. We're going to come back in just a second, but turn back to Genesis chapter 17. This might be in your notes, but I want you to see it with your own eyeballs because this is really important. Genesis chapter 17. <laughs> Starting in uh, verse number 10. No, let's go verse 7. Um, no, let's go to verse number 4, sorry. It's, it's all good. So, uh, Genesis chapter 17, verse number four. Uh, so Abraham fell on his face, God with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. So God is going back and rehearsing uh, the covenant that he already has uh, with Abraham. Neither shall thou name be any more called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham for a father of many nations. I made thee and I'll make thee exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of thee and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Now, how long is everlasting? Anybody want to help me with that? Forever. Everlasting, right? Hello. So again, God's saying to Abraham, your seed, all of your kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, all the way down through your family tree, these people will always be my people forever. This is an everlasting covenant that has no end. To be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give to thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger. So I'm giving you this land, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. How long do they get the land of Canaan? Somebody help me forever. So again, we don't have the right to, to give up any land that God has already given to the children of Israel. And I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, thou shalt keep my covenant therefore and to thy seed after thee in their generations. Now, this next part is really important because the requirement for this covenant was a circumcision of all males. Now, again, not to be graphic or awkward in any ways, but this was the cutting of the foreskin of the male genitalia only for boys. Uh, but this was to happen as a sign of the covenant. Take a look at verse number 10 uh, in Genesis 17 here. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. So again, you're going to circumcise all of your men as a picture of this covenant between you and I. Verse number 12. And he is eight days old shall be circumcised among you every man, in, man child in your generations. He that's born in the house is bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed. He that's born of thy house and he that's bought with thy money must needs be circumcised and my covenant shall be your flesh for an everlasting covenant. So verse 13 says, if you have a servant that you hire or a slave that you buy that comes to live in your house, they need to be circumcised. If you have like a, somebody who's a stranger in another land that comes to live in your house, not comes passing through town for a couple of hours or a couple of days, but they come to live in your house, verse 13 says, they need to be circumcised. Take a look at verse 14. This is big. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. So here's what God says. If you're going to be called my child, you need to be circumcised. If you don't, you're not mine. You don't belong to me. 
This covenant, these promises, they don't apply to you. You're not even a Jew if you're not circumcised. That's how big of a deal this is. Because God says to prove that you are my child, that you're part of this covenant, every single man needs to be circumcised. So if you had a boy and you didn't have him circumcised, man, your family was cut off from God's promises. If a woman were to marry a man that were uncircumcised, basically she's cutting off herself and her future family from God's covenant and God's promises. This is a huge deal. So God says, when you have men, child, we have boys, eighth day, they need to be circumcised as a proving of this covenant. Now, it's interesting to note, too, that when he gives this uh, command to Abraham, he says, hey, all the men need to be circumcised. That meant the adult men, too. And so if you can imagine, Abraham's like, all right, guys, gather around. Just the guys. I need to talk to the guys today. You're not going to like this, but uh, here's what God says. If we're going to obey him, all of us guys need to be circumcised. And so they circumcised the, the adult men when they made this covenant uh, with God in this particular case. Now, it's important to note, I'm going to take a, a small side here for just a second to help you with something. Circumcision for your children was saying to them, our family follows after God and we are partakers of God's covenant. We are God's covenant people by circumcising their boys when they would have boys brought into their families. And so that did, uh, that let everyone know we're followers of God that, that put on that child that he was automatically brought into God's covenant because he had been circumcised according to this. Unfortunately, some people draw lines in the Bible where there are no clear lines. Some people would say, that was the Old Testament where you circumcised your children. In the New Testament, that's where we baptize children to show that they're part of a household of faith. The problem with that is, is there's no scriptural basis for that. It sounds like a really good idea. Like, hey, that kind of makes sense. You know, I, I could see that. There's a, a really, really super duper obscure passage in, in Colossians that, that uses the words circumcision and baptism in close proximity to one another, but it doesn't draw a line. So some people try to draw, draw lines where there's not lines. And so for us, we would be, here's, again, I'm gonna help you with, with terms to define your faith and understand your faith. We would be what's referred to as credo-baptist, C-R-E-D-O, Baptist, right? That means we follow the creeds that are found in the Bible. The baptism takes place by immersion, all the way underwater, after salvation, under the authority of a local Bible-preaching church. That's scriptural baptism. And so we would be credo-baptists. You can't be baptized unless you have confessed Jesus Christ as Savior. Why don't we have videos on here? Because we need another thing to add to the, the, uh, uh, the, the service. No, we have testimony videos because I want you to know everyone who's being baptized last Sunday got baptized because they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We're going over to Alamoana Beach Park to baptize them by immersion under the authority of this local church. We don't bring them up here and dump a cup of water over their head or, or take a sponge and dab it on their forehead. That's not baptism. Never has been, never will be. But secondly, there's never an instance in the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation where a baby is ever baptized, ever. People are always baptized 100% of the time by immersion after salvation under the authority of the local church. That's just how it happens. So people who would baptize babies, we would refer to as pedo-baptists, P-A-E-D-O, P-A-E-D-O, Baptist, pedo-baptists. Basically, they baptize babies. And for Catholicism, again, this started with Catholicism, uh, was the idea that you would wash away their original sin that came from Adam when the baby is born. And so they would often baptize babies as an idea of washing these babies' original sins away. Uh, this is one of the reasons why uh, Catholics are vehemently against abortion. Man, we are too, and that's one thing that we can agree on. They're against abortion because they believe that aborted kids go to hell because they haven't had the opportunity to have their first baptism. Mm, big problem there, uh, but we can agree on things that we agree on and disagree on the other things as well. So again, we're, we're pro-life as the Bible commands us to be. But later we'll see about the Reformation time frame whenever people become, came to come out of the Catholic Church, uh, your Episcopal, your Presbyterians, uh, and things along those lines. They came out, but they didn't come out far enough, and they maintained infant baptism under the idea that it was kind of like circumcision in the, in the Old Testament. And so, but again, we can't draw lines where the Bible doesn't draw lines, and it's very difficult to create Bible doctrine on one obscure verse that doesn't really say what you think it says. So again, I say all that to say, we don't baptize babies. Uh, you get baptized after you put your faith and trust in Christ and have a solid salvation testimony. So 
requirement of the covenant, circumcision by all males. Now, circumcision was a Jewish practice to show that you belong to God and were part of his covenant people. Again, if you weren't circumcised, it's because you didn't belong to God and you weren't a true Jew. And so this was such a big deal to God that he says, if you don't get circumcised, you're cut off from all my promises. Like all the things that I told you would happen, that doesn't apply to you. You don't get the land. You don't get the seed. You don't get the blessing. You don't get me to be your God and you get to be my people unless you follow this important. Again, you can keep all the rest of the law that you want to. If you are uncircumcised, you're cut off from the covenant altogether is what he said. And so we see a time period after uh, Joshua, uh, after the children of Israel have gone into the wilderness. Now, again, I don't have time to delve into the whole story. I'm going to give you the quick uh, overview of this story. Children of Israel led out of Egypt. They go out, and God says, go into the promised land. You're going to have to fight, but you're going to win every single time, 100% of the time. I'm going to fight on your behalf. I'm going to make the path clear for you. All you have to do is just go in and fight. And the children of Israel, they hem and they haw, and they rub their hands together, and then they say, I don't really know if we can do this or not. We should send spies to see what it looks like over there. So they, each, each tribe chooses a spy, and they send 12 spies into the promised land. And they check it out. They come back, and he says, there's giants over there. Yeah, there's milk and honey. There's tons of that. But there's giants over there, and they're bigger than us. They're stronger than us. Uh, I don't think we can do it. So 10 spies says we can't do it. Two of them says, hey, guys, if God says this, we got this. And their names were Joshua and Caleb. They said, we got this. God's with us. We should go. And everybody else says, oh, I don't think we can do this. So God says, okay, fine. Here's what's going to happen. You guys are going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. In this time period, get this. This is kind of interesting as well. During this time period, everyone who is 20 years of age and up are going to die. All of them. You didn't obey God. You didn't trust me. You didn't live by faith. You're going to die. All of those 19 and under will live. And so it's kind of interesting that God kind of draws a line there and says, I'm not going to hold the children responsible for a lack of faith on their part, but adults are 100% responsible for a lack of faith. And so they wander in the wilderness for, for 40 years. During this 40 years, they continue to have children and they continue to, uh, to multiply. And, and again, you've got probably a million plus Jews wandering around in the wilderness. They start to die off. And when the time comes for them to go into the promised land and Joshua leads them into the promised land, you got these people that have been wandering around. The oldest one at the time would have been 19, so now the oldest person going into the promised land would be 59 years old. And then they've got all these kids who have been born out in the wilderness. If you've got your, your Bibles ready, turn to Joshua chapter 5, uh, verse number 2. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua is the next book. Sixth book of the Bible. So as they begin to uh, head into the promised land, Joshua chapter 5, verse number 2, at that time the Lord said unto Joshua, make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Now some people stop here for a second and say, wait a minute, they were having people circumcised the second time? How does that work? No, no, no. There was the original circumcision of all the adults, and then from then on it was done at birth. But now you have a time where they've been wandering in the wilderness. You have adults that have never been circumcised before. And so, verse number three, And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. Here's why he did it. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised. All the 19 and younger were circumcised. But all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked in the wilderness for 40 years till all the people that came out were men of war, which came out of Egypt, were not consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord sware that he would not show them the land, which the Lord sware unto their fathers, he would give us a land that flows with milk and honey. So all these kids that were born out in the wilderness, they had to be circumcised uh, as adults before they went into the promised land. This is how big of a deal it was to God. God says, hey, before you make good on that promise I made to Abraham, I need to make sure that you're keeping your end of this covenant that we've made. That's, again, we just say that to show you how big of a deal that is. So those that are born after the Exodus during the 40-year wilderness wander were required to be sacrificed, uh, circumcised. Don't sacrifice them, circumcise them. Really important distinction. 
I'm just glad you're staying awake through all this, right? That's proof that you're staying awake. That's good. So again, that's how big of a deal this was to God. This wasn't just like a uh, take it or leave it kind of deal when it comes to circumcision. That's going to be really important to us when we get back to Romans and take a look at what Paul says when it comes to circumcision. Now, that's the, the Abrahamic covenant, which really doesn't have a lot to do with those of us that aren't Jewish. But Jesus inaugurated now the most important covenant for us, and that would be the new covenant. When we think about the, the new covenant, uh, the Greek term for the, the words new covenant is the word kine diathike, which means new covenant. New covenant translated to Latin is the, the phrase novum testamentum, which is where we get our word New Testament. So you might not know this, but the words New Testament literally means new covenant. So your Bible is divided into two major sections, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. That's what the word testament, testament means. Now, this is important, too, to know, because if you were to grab the Book of Mormon and just open up to the title page, it says, uh, the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ. And so I was having a talk with a young man uh, about a year or so ago who was a Mormon, and uh, he said, well, you know, the, the Book of Mormon isn't an add-on to the Bible. It's just another story of Jesus. I said, well, it says it's another covenant. He goes, it doesn't say that. And I said, do you have a copy on you? He said, I do. So we opened it up to the title page, sure enough, another testament of Jesus Christ. He goes, yeah, the word testament just means testimony. It's just another story of Jesus. I said, oh, the word testament means covenant. And so you're saying that God has another covenant through Jesus Christ. Could you tell me about that additional covenant? Well, I'm not really sure. Yeah, because there's not another covenant. There's the new covenant, which is still in effect, that hasn't even been completed yet. We don't need another covenant. And your additional covenant comes from an angel that met with Joseph Smith out in the woods. So how do you rectify that with Galatians 1 where it says, if you receive another gospel, even if it comes from an angel, let that man be accursed. Send that man to hell because that's not a true gospel. Well, this isn't another gospel. No, it says here that it's another gospel. It doesn't have an answer for that. That's why it's really important that you know your Bible and know, uh, again, how to talk with other people about your faith. But this new covenant is really important to you and I. Uh, it began in Jeremiah chapter 31 when God made a new promise. I think these verses are in your notes. It's not Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days will come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Again, talking about the uh, Mosaic and Abrahamic covenants, which my covenant, they break. They broke that one already. Although I was a husband to them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law on their inward parts, stay with me for just a second, and will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them and to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquities and will remember their sins no more. So stay with me. God's saying there's coming a time when we won't have to teach people the law. God's law will already be written on their hearts. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Oh, yeah. Romans chapter 1 tells us that. Or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 2 tells us that we've been looking through that. That when the Gentiles do that which is contained in the law, they're a law unto themselves because it's proof that God has written his law on their hearts. And so here we see Jeremiah where a group of people who don't know God are now brought in to know God because he's written his law on their hearts and God has promised to forgive their sins. Fast forward to Jesus at the Passover meal that we sometimes refer to as the Last Supper. Matthew chapter 26, verse number 28, for this is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for the remission of sin. So now we see Jesus says, hey, take this blood. This is the beginning of the new covenant. Now, God established the new covenant when he established it in the book of Jeremiah, laid the kind of the framework of it. Jesus kind of kicked things off with his death, burial, and resurrection. He says, drink this blood because this is the new covenant in my blood. Once I shed my blood, once I resurrect from the grave, the new covenant, the new testament has begun. 
And so for you and I, we're living under the new covenant. When we refer to ourselves as a Bible-preaching New Testament church, we're saying that we are a church that is built under the terms and conditions of the new covenant. The new covenant, Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice for sins. Jesus is our high priest with God. Mankind has a direct relationship with God, and God has written his word in our heart through the Holy Spirit. This is what the new covenant means for us. You and I, who once were the enemies of God, now have a way to be adopted into the family of God. You and I, who were not a part of the people of God because we weren't Jews, you and I, who were never circumcised, who didn't have access to the old covenant, now have access to a new covenant, and now we can become God's people. How does that work? Get this. The gospel makes all this possible. You and I have sinned against God. We were the enemies of God. We couldn't be called the children of God, the people of God. We were the enemies of God. But God sent his son Jesus to die in my place and yours. Jesus paid the penalty of our sin so that anyone that comes to Jesus in faith and repentance can be saved and born again and adopted into the family of God. If you hear nothing else from today's message, hear this. You are responsible for your own sin. And when you die, you will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell that burns with real fire for all of eternity. There's no second chances. You will never get out unless someone else pays your price. And God's new covenant allows your sin to be transferred to Jesus Christ and his righteousness transferred to you. And here's all God asks of you, two things. Faith and repentance. You have to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he's the only way to heaven. I believe that he died for my sins and rose again the third day. And I'm asking him to save me and forgive me of my sin. And if you really believe that with every fiber of your being, and you confess that to God, you could be saved today, right there sitting in your seat. I was talking to a man uh, last week, and um, I'd shared the gospel with him and he didn't get saved the first time and I saw him a couple of weeks later and he raised his hand and he knew for sure he was saved and I said after the service, hey, I saw you raise your hand that you're sure you're on your way to heaven. He goes, man, I was just sitting in my seat and I just recognized that Jesus had died for my sins. I asked him to save me and forgive me and my faith is fully in him. He said, is there anything else I have to do? <laughs> no, man, you got it covered. That's it. He was born again. Don't have to walk an aisle, don't have to talk to a pastor, don't have to pray the sinner's prayer. It just requires your faith and repentance. And friend, if you have never been born again, you're not a child of God. And get this, you don't have access to the new covenant. You're 100% on your own. So put your faith and trust in Christ today. You don't have to be a Baptist or join our church or get baptized or uh, go through a class or anything like that. You just need to put your faith in Jesus and make him your Lord and Savior the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 12 would say this, neither the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For by the blood of bull and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled in the unclean, sanctified the appearing of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works, to serve the living God. Get this, and for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, the new covenant, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, they which might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So get this. Again, covenant, agreement between two individuals. Well, it's you and I, we want to make an agreement with God, but we don't have a way to come to God because we have nothing to offer him. If you remember, God went and chose Abraham. Hey, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm choosing you. We don't have any access to go to God and say, hey, God, would you pick me? So we need, uh, what's the Bible word? A mediator of the new covenant. And so Jesus becomes our middleman. Jesus says, I'll pay the price so that whosoever will can come to my father. Hey, I'm willing to mediate this covenant. Whatever the Father requires, I'm willing to pay so that all the world through me can be blessed. Oh, no. That goes back to the Abrahamic covenant, doesn't it? And we begin to see how all these pieces fit together. 
And Jesus becomes the mediator of this new covenant that you are, are under. And we can come to God. Anyone who wants can now come to God and be a partaker of everlasting life because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Under the new covenant, the law has been fulfilled. And at the completion of the covenant, Israel will return to God as he pours out his spirit upon Israel. So here we see that Jesus came and he says, hey, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it. I came to check it off so that it's done. That's done now under the new covenant. And at the end of the covenant, Israel will come to faith in Christ and God will pour out his spirit upon them in the end times. Joel chapter 2 verse number 28 is a prophecy and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. Now, pause here for just a second. This is why it's so important that you know your Bible. You say, Pastor, you say that every Sunday, and I'm going to keep saying it every Sunday until Jesus comes. It's important that you know your Bible lest you be led astray. I have heard people preach this passage, which is a prophecy for Israel, mind you, as the completion of the new covenant at the end of the days, and we're talking like eschatological terms, that Israel will come to faith in Christ as God pours out his spirit upon them. I've heard people preach this same passage uh, that old men will dream dreams and young men will have visions and old men out there in the congregation, God's speaking to you today and he wants you to dream again. Young men, God's giving you visions of planting churches and going to Uganda as missionaries and God's stirring that up and God's gonna pour out his spirit on you today and cause you to prophesy and God wants us to raise up as a church and save America. Hey, hold up, Time out. That's not what this passage says at all. Not even remotely close. We run into very dangerous territory when we read everything through the Bible through a Western lens of this is talking about America. It's not talking about America. And some people take this so far, and and again, if you ever want to go down a YouTube rabbit hole, you can do this. But the idea is that America has become Israel. And now all the promises that are made to Israel now are America. And us by being Americans are now God's chosen people. We're blessed above everybody else. Time out on all of that. That's not the case at all. This passage here is not talking about planting churches and sending missionaries, which are super important. It's not talking about old men getting their vision back and going back and doing great things for God, which is a biblical thing. That's just not what this part of Scripture is saying. It's just not. Because when you go on to read the rest of it, here's what it says. And again, people usually stop there because they don't preach the Bible in context. And I'll show wonders in heavens and the earth. What's going to happen? Blood and fire and pillars of smoke. They leave that part out, right? Some of you are going to go out and blood and fire and pillars of smoke. What? Hold up. Like, I like the whole like visions and dreams. That was fun. Uh, but blood and pillars of smoke? Yeah. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Before the great and terrible day of the Lord come, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. That probably sounds familiar to you. For in Mount Zion and Jerusalem shall be deliverance. And the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So all that's talking about Israel, God's bringing them back to repentance at the end of times uh, where Israel will turn to faith in Christ. God will pour out his spirit upon them and, and incredible things happen. That's not talking about you and I. So again, really important that we understand that relates to the new covenant, which has not yet been fulfilled. So you and I are currently living in the New Testament, new covenant church age of Bible history, if you will. So now God with this new covenant works in similar ways that he did in his previous covenants, but some are distinctly different. We see that God works by his spirit not through prophets or dreams and visions, but through the incarnate word, which is Jesus Christ, and through the word of God, scripture, to wage war against and defeat his foes. But his foes are now not the Midianites or Babylon or uh, the Philistines. God's enemies now are the world, the flesh, and the devil. The Bible says that if you love the world, the love of the Father's not in you. And the love of the world makes you, get this, an enemy of God. And so again, God's foes are different in the fact that they're no longer countries or nations. God's foes are now spiritual beings. God establishes a covenant with his people. You and I get to be a part of that new covenant. 
God establishes that people as God's people. Get this. You and I get to be God's people, not because we're Jews or because we've been circumcised, but we get to be God's people because Jesus Christ is Lord. What a gift. What a gift. We don't have to follow through religious rites and ceremonies and circumcisions and yearly sacrifices. We just get to go straight to God because we have a mediator whose name is Jesus who has brought us in to this new covenant that God's given us. Here's one of my favorite parts. And God establishes the temple among his people because he will reside among them. Remember how there used to be a tent called the tabernacle and then David says, I want to build you a temple, a proper house. And he did that, as Solomon did. They opened the temple in Jerusalem, and it was incredible. Shortly after Christ's resurrection and ascension and problems in Rome and the Roman Empire and things like that, the temple was burned down. The temple was leveled. Well, you know what's sitting on the foundation of the temple now in Jerusalem? Anybody want to help me? Muslim mosque, the Dome of the Rock, right? Dome of the Rock's a Muslim mosque. It sits where the temple was. And you might be like, that is just a spit in the face to Christianity to take God's temple and to raise it and to put on top of that a pagan temple to a pagan God. You know what the problem about that is? God's not upset with it. You know why? He doesn't need his temple anymore. You know where his temple is now? Anybody want to guess? Right here. Oh, how about that? God doesn't need a big fancy building anymore. You know why? Because he dwells in us. What? Know you not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? For not your own, you were purchased with a price. You're the temple of God now. God doesn't need a fancy building in, in, in the middle of Jerusalem. Let the Muslims have that spot. God's going to take it back when he's good and ready. He doesn't need us to do anything about it because his temple is now with us. And it's interesting, people used to treat that special place in Jerusalem with such reverence because it was a sacred, holy place. Guess what? This is the sacred, holy place now. Think about that. Because God wants a presence with his people. Well, again, big, long history lesson to set us up for next week as we dig into really the end of Romans chapter 2. But four applications I want to take away from you. Look, again, History is not there simply for the sake of history. History is there to teach us where we came from and why that's important. And here's what I want you to get from, from this passage here. Is that God has had a plan that spans from eternity past to eternity future. And we're just right in the middle of that big, huge plan that God has. We say that God is sovereign. There's nothing that happens that is outside of the will of God. And so before God ever created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1, he already had a plan in place of you and I. He already knew when we were going to be born, what we were going to do. Get this. This is how crazy this is. God's massive, eternally significant plan is currently unfolding today on a day that we call Sunday. God's plan is unfolding right now. You're not here by accident today. You're not here because this is the closest church to your house or somebody invited you. You're here because God brought you here today because God has this massive plan that's unfolding one day at a time. And you and I are just a small, teeny-weeny part of that massive plan. Then in Genesis chapter 12, when God appeared to Abraham and says, Abraham, get your stuff and go. I'm going to give you land, a seed, and a blessing. He already knew how Jesus Christ would die to save your soul. And he knew where you would be the day that you called upon the name of Jesus Christ to be saved. He knew all of that. And it's still just unfolding one day at a time. And I hope that brings you comfort in the fact that whatever tomorrow holds, it's just part of God's plan, and you just have to, I have to walk through it with obedience. Because God's got a plan, and it's currently unfolding. Next, we see that the glory of God and the redemption of mankind has always been front and center in God's plans. God always wanted to be glorified. God always wanted to be magnified, and he always wanted a group of people who would be willing to do it. And so again, in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, God says, Okay, devil, I'm going to put an enemy relationship between you and the woman's seed. Interesting to know, if you think of biology, women don't have a seed, men carry a seed. But in this case, Mary would have a seed that came not from her husband, but came from the Holy Spirit. 
There's a prophecy back in Genesis chapter 3 that Jesus Christ will be born of a virgin. And that while Satan might damage the heel of Jesus Christ, he would ultimately be crushed under the weight of Jesus Christ's victorious death, burial, and resurrection. All that's in Genesis 3. There's this goofy idea, I say goofy because I can't think of a good word to put, foolish idea maybe, that's referred to as open theism, that God is, God created everything, but he's kind of blind as to how it all unfolds. And then if like you get hit by a bus, he's like, wow, I didn't see that happening. I don't know what I'm, what I'm going to do with this. Maybe I'll shift this thing around like here. And like God's basically kind of working in real time with you and I to try to figure stuff out as he goes. Who wants to serve a God who's just making it up as he goes? That's what I do, right? <laughs> I don't need anybody to do that for me. I can make it up as I go. No, no, no. God is, 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 has this massive plan, and everything's planned out to the letter. You and I just get to walk in God's plan. And God has always been thinking about our redemption through Jesus Christ. If you're here today, God wants to save your soul if he hasn't already, and God wants to make you his son, make you his daughter. God's always been looking for a people who would represent his name and character amongst those who do not know him. <laughs> Think of this. In the book of Exodus, God told Moses, hey, I want you to go lead my people out of, out of Egypt, out of captivity. And Moses hems and haws and finally says, okay, fine, I'll do it. He says, here, I got a question for you, though. When they asked me who sent me, like, I don't even know what your name is. And God says, good. Tell them I am has sent you. I'm Jehovah, the, the self-existent one. That's who sent you. And so get this. Moses was willing to follow a God that he didn't even know what his name was. When, when he went to, to Pharaoh, we just automatically assumed that, that Moses went and says, hey, these are God's people. And Pharaoh was like, oh, yeah, I forgot those were God's people. Pharaoh didn't know who God was. Moses didn't know who God was by his name. And so here's what God had to do. This, this might sound crazy to you, and it might even seem blasphemous on the surface, but get this. God had to build credibility to show his power and his might so that people would fear him. Does that make sense? Because like, Pharaoh's like, yeah, you got gods, we got gods, so what? And so Moses goes and he's like, okay, then, then God's going to send you these plagues. And he's like, that's fine. We're going to make a bunch of frogs. And Pharaoh's like, my guys can make frogs. Guys make frogs, they make frogs. He's like, oh, wow. Well, God's going to turn all the water into blood. Man, my guys can do that. Guys, come over and do that. And there came a point where God's like, all right, fine. I'm going to show how powerful I am. Firstborn of every child, is, uh, every family child is going to die tonight. Unless they have blood over their, their doorpost. And again, there's a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ sparing us from destruction and wrath. Oh, where? Back in the book of Exodus. There's a foreshadowing of Christ's salvation for you and I. And man, once that took place, Pharaoh was just like, hey, Get all your stuff, get out. I don't want nothing to do with you or your God. You're done, go. And they begin to go, and Pharaoh's just like, I just let all my slave laborers go. I'm gonna go get them back. And then what happens? God parts the Red Sea and then drowns Pharaoh and his army. And I imagine the children of Israel are just like, what is this? And that's why God says, don't ever forget what happened. I want you to tell your children and your children's children about the God that led you out of Egypt. I want you to remember this. Don't ever forget it. I want you to remember that Passover. I'm going to establish a feast every single year so that you'll never forget who I am. And then everywhere they went, people were like, hey, what's up with those guys? They don't eat bacon like we do. Oh, yeah, those are God's people. They don't eat pork. Oh. Well, that army, I think we can beat them. We outnumber them four to one. Easy. We'll, we'll mow them down. Oh, not those guys. Those guys are God's people. They whip everybody. Oh, I think that we could, we could take over them. Now, you, you can't take over them because that land was given to them by God. Well, I think we'll, we'll just take them over by intermarrying with them. Yeah, that's the thing. They don't marry people that aren't circumcised. Oh, yeah, there's something special about them. I don't know. And so get this. God took the children of Israel to do something special through them to make his name great. Get this, stay with me, we're almost done. Now God 
no longer has an ethnic group that he is called to make his name great. God has his adopted sons and daughters who will make his name great. That's us. Oh, we should totally ask Joe if he wants to go out and have a couple of beers with us. Yeah, he's not going to go. He's, he's one of God's people. See the difference there? Oh, man, we should totally get, get her roped into this. Yeah, she doesn't go to stuff like that because she's a Christian. Oh, yeah, they, they would never let their kids go to, to a party like that because they're Christians. Oh, got it. Interesting. God's always wanted a group of people that were his to show how great he is. You and I are those people. No longer do we have to be a Jew or be circumcised to be those people. Now we get to be that because of Jesus Christ. Final thought, get this. This will help you this week. God always keeps his promises. The promise that he made to the devil back in Genesis chapter 3, he made good on that promise, and he's going to make good on it to the very end. The promise he made to Abraham that all the world through him would be blessed. You and I are here today blessed because of that promise that was made to Abraham. If you're blessed this week because you have a Savior named Jesus, that's just the blessing that came from the Abrahamic covenant. And I hope that helps you as you read your Bible this week and you lean hard on the promises of God's word. Hey, God always keeps his promises. God said this, it will come to pass. God has said this, this will be good. Man, I, I, a couple of nights ago, actually the week before last, I couldn't sleep. I was just tossing and turning. It was one of those nights that you stare at the same dot on the wall for three hours, and you're like, this is the dumbest thing ever, right? And so I thought, oh, I'm going to go work out. Then I thought, if I go work out, I'm going to be amped up, and my heart is going to be up. I'm never going to get to sleep. And so I thought, oh, I'll watch a movie, but I don't want to fill my brain full of nonsense. And so I thought, I'm just going to get up and read the Bible. And I sat and read the book of Proverbs from beginning to end in one sitting. And when I was done, I was so full. And man, I've just been like feasting on that for weeks now at this point. Like God's constantly bringing promises of what happens to the fool, what happens to the wise, what happens to the diligent, what happens to the slothful, what happens to the sluggard. Man, just constantly. And God always keeps his promises. Some of you need to find a promise from God this week and meditate on it and let it carry you out through the rest of the week because it's always good. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, let today be the day that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. For the rest of us, let's live like God's people this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m.